Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we'll read through 4. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Distributed according to his will. Now, here is our lesson for the day, our theme, if you will. Uh, Jesus is a better argument. Jesus is a better argument. That doesn't make sense yet, but it will in, in just a second. Last week we said this is a, a, a pretty neat little passage that it's special. It's the first of five warnings. It's connected to the entire first chapter of Hebrews. And we know that because we read Hebrews 2.1. And Hebrews 2.1 says this. It says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. And that word, therefore, it's a conjunction. It's a connective word. And the point is that because of chapter 1... Because Jesus is better than all the things listed in chapter 1, because Jesus is better, we need to pay attention to what he says and we need to anchor ourselves to him, remember, so that we won't drift away. Now, now, but here's what you need to understand. That conjunction, that therefore, is still active in verse 2, 3, and 4. It wasn't just for, for verse 1. Verse one's not the only thing attached to chapter 1. In fact, he, he's saying... Because of that, this conjunction still being alive and active, still using the fact that Jesus is better is a spring forward, uh, is a springboard for, for our argument. And he takes it a little deeper and he takes it a little deeper by teaching us that, that, that literally Jesus is a better argument. I want you to see it first. Uh, and, and we're going to read verse two, uh, three and four together. I think I've got it on the screens for you. Uh, two and three. It says, for, for since the message spoken through angels was binding, And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Since this is the way it was, it used to be binding. Every sin received just punishment. Since that's the case, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation, a better salvation? Uh, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And and maybe you missed it, but, but this is what the author is saying. He's making an argument. He's making an argument. Now, now his, his readers would have been thoroughly um, aware of this, of this kind of argument because this was common in their day and age. And, and this, is, uh, this is a Latin word I'm going to put up on the screen, but here it is. It, it, it's, it's an a fortiori argument. An a fortiori argument. And literally, it, what, it, what it means is it's an argument from light to heavy. It, it's from light to to heavy, and it's common in Jewish law. In fact, Jewish law is filled with this kind of argument, and so is the Bible, in fact. Jesus used this kind of argument in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he says. Just put some skin on it so you know what we're talking about when we talk about this kind of argument. He says, and, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, get this, here's the argument, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So here's the argument that Jesus puts forth. He says, listen, if that's how God takes care of grass, which dies, right? Grass, which is here today, and then is brown tomorrow, maybe because I didn't water it. Um, uh, 
If, if that's how God clothes the grass, then how much more will God clothe you, His precious child? See, that's the argument. It's an a fortiori. It's a light to heavy argument. And man, the Jewish readers were so familiar with this that the, the author of Hebrews is just speaking their language. And he speaks it powerfully. And, and he gives them two real, real important points using this argument uh, about Jesus. And here they are, number one. Okay? First, he says, Jesus is a better argument for obedience. Jesus is a better argument for obedience. He, 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 here it is. If, if the old covenant, uh, again, we'll read verse 2 and 3. For, for the message spoken by the angels was binding, and every violation uh, and disobedience, you should underline that, received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? It's saying, if the old covenant that was delivered by angels... Right. If the the old covenant that was atoned for by the blood of goats and, and, and of bulls, if that was binding, how much more binding is the new covenant that's sealed in Christ's blood? How much more binding is is the new covenant? How much more do we we need to obey? Now, that's a strong argument. See, Jesus is better than all that other stuff. He's better than the prophets. He, he's creator. Remember, he's better than the priests. He's better than the blood of the bulls and the goats. And if people were held accountable before to, to those inferior things, if they were held accountable to, to obey to those inferior things, how much more should they obey because of the perfect life and sacrificial death of Christ? You, you follow me? That's a strong argument. How much greater obedience is necessary now? Now, I see you looking there. Some of you looking at me, you're going, wait a second, Pastor. I'm a New Testament Christian and you've just trampled over grace. You just did. You said how much more obedience is necessary now. And you know what? Have you not read your Bible? Yes, I have read my Bible. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace that we're saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You should memorize it. It's really good. And we're not trampling on grace when we say that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that better obedience should be required of us. That's not a trampling on grace because we're not talking about salvation. I want you to see this. You've got to understand this. Just fill in some blanks with me, okay? When, when we say that because Jesus is better, better obedience is required, we're, we're, th- this is what we're saying. I want you to understand that obedience isn't a, a requirement for grace. Okay, You don't have to obey in order to get the grace of God. You don't. In fact, that, that's the beauty of, of the gospel is that you weren't somebody that obeyed. You, you were actually somebody that disobeyed. You were somebody that was living in rebellion. You were somebody that looked at God as king and said, I reject you and I hate you and I choose me, not you. That's who you were, Ephesians chapter 2. As such, you were dead in your sins, completely separate from from God. Okay, and, and that that's who you were. You you were a slave to sin, and you were an enemy of God and an object of His wrath. That's what the Bible says. And and here's the beauty of it: while you were that person, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. That is our story. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the glory of the gospel, isn't it? So, so hear me, obedience isn't a requirement for grace. In fact, the grace means that you didn't do anything to deserve it, that you can't. That's grace. But follow me, you follow me. If you've received that grace of God, 
It, it, it should do something in you. You see, obedience is not a requirement for grace, but obedience should be a natural reaction to it. If, if you've truly understood the grace of God, if you've understood what Jesus did for you, if you know that He came and that He lived the life that you never could, not the life that you, you maybe could have, the life that you never could, if you learn that He died as a sacrificial death to bring you um, closer to God, to make you alive, if you understand that you were a slave to sin and you had no choice, but Jesus came to free you and to make you alive, if you know that you were dead and you were an enemy and you were facing the wrath of God and Jesus Jesus came to make you alive, to raise you up out of that slimy pit and seat you with Christ in the heavenly realms, to bring you close to God, closer than a brother, to, to literally make you an heir of the kingdom. If you start getting the gospel and understanding what Christ has done for you, your only natural response to that is to say, oh, I want to live for you. Because of what you've done for me, oh, I want to live for you. This is what I want to do. That should be your natural desire. When we understand that Christ has taken our sin as far as the east is from the west. Those two never meet, you know. I mean, that's the cool thing, guys. We could, we could get in a plane and start heading east and we would continually go east until that sucker ran out of gas. We did that same going north. We'd hit the north pole and then all of a sudden we'd start going south. We'd find that sin again, wouldn't we? But God says, no, man. I've, when we understand the glory of the cross and what Jesus has done for us, it makes us want to react in obedience unto Him. It makes us want to, to live for Him because He's so much better. Because of grace, we, we should desire to obey Him all the more. Obedience is not required for grace, but it should be a natural reaction of grace. It's kind of like the old films. You ever watch one of those films? Uh, one, of those, one of those Hollywood kind of deals where um, somebody saves a guy's life, you know, and there was a natural honor code in the films. What happens if somebody saves your life? You have to, you pledge your life to them, right? I mean, somebody saves your life, you're like, oh, you've saved my life. I pledge my life to you, right? I mean, I, I don't know what kind of film I'm in. I mean, it's from somewhere, right? This is it. I, I do. I, I will live for you for the rest of my days. I don't know why I'm speaking like this. My name is Diego Montoya. Like, prepare to die. Um, no, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Stop rhyming and I mean it. Does anyone want a peanut? Okay. Um, and the princess bride, go watch it. It is awesome. Now, here's the deal. In those movies, like the honor code was if somebody saved you, you pledged your life to them, right? And, and, and friends, there's nothing, there's nothing different about this. Jesus has indeed saved us. He has saved us from the wrath of God. He has saved us from being enemies of God. He is taking the wrath of God upon Himself. He has provided salvation. We now get God. And because we get God, what else should we do but give our lives to Him? That's the natural response. That's the natural response. That's what we're talking about. This is how great the, the gospel is. And I just want you to think about something with me for a second, because this is a little heavy. Ready? I want you to think just for a moment, how much has Christ given you? Make it personal. If you've got to close your eyes for a second, that's cool. I, I, I challenge you, if you had a sheet of paper, you, you'd probably need a bigger sheet of paper. When you, when you begin to think of who you were and what Jesus has done for you, He has given you much, amen? He's given you way more than you deserve, amen? But here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is the Bible. This is Jesus speaking, okay? It's the parable of a faithful servant. I need you to hear His words. He says this, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Another way to phrase that is, To whom much is given, much is expected. Friend, 
How much has Jesus given you? How much has Jesus given you? Because he has given, if he's given you what I think that he has, I think that, I think that demands obedience in return. I think if he's given you what he's given me, what other choice do we have than, than, than to make obeying him and living for him uh, the aim of our lives? Because Jesus is so much better because we've been given so much. Much is expected of us. The grace of Jesus should result in radical obedience to him. It's what it should do. It's what it should do. That should be our natural reaction. Because of who you are and because of what you've done, I want to live for you with all that I am. With all that I am. So that's the first thing. First thing our author points out, he said, listen, Jesus is a better argument for obedience. And, and I don't know what other kind of arguments you have. Like, I, I don't know why you want to obey God. Maybe you want to o- obey God because you're a rule follower, right? But guess what? Jesus is a better argument than that. Because I hate following rules, right? My mom would leave the house. There was like two rules. Like, don't turn the oven on. Don't do something else. Like, I would be the kid that tried to turn the oven on and crawl into it. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever the rule is, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to break that sucker. It's not great motivation. Rules aren't great motivation. But you know what? When you understand what somebody has done for you, that is great motivation for living. Jesus is better motivation. Okay? Number two, I want you to know that Jesus is a better argument for repentance. According to our text, Jesus is a better argument for repentance. Verse two, for if the message spoken by angels was binding... And every violation and disobedience, get this, here's the, the key phrase here, received its just punishment. How shall we, another important word, escape if we ignore such great a salvation? Just punishment. Uh, escape. Great salvation. Again, this, this is, this is the, the, the light, heavy argument. Right. This is the light, heavy argument. If, if, if there was just punishment in the old covenant where it was all about the blood of some animals... How just is the punishment in the new covenant when it's about the blood of the Son of God who was spread, who was shed for us? Like, right, literally. Like, why do we think somehow, well, I'm living under grace. There's not going to be just punishment. Friend, friend, have you not studied the scripture? This is God's one and only Son that had to come, had to live perfectly, had to die on a cross and be slaughtered for your sake. That's what had to happen so that you could have God. And you don't think there will be just punishment for that. What will happen if we ignore such a great salvation, the text says. Friends, this is our reminder that God is just. That God is just. We we love to boast about the fact that God is loving. And He is. God is so loving. Like like John 3.16, right? We're not going there yet, but we'll get there in a second. But God is loving. For God so loved the world. God is loving. Right? God is loving. God is, is gracious. Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace that we're saved. God is all those things. But God is equally just. He's always just. Just is His name. That's who He is. That's, that's His character. And what that means is that, that we'll all be accountable to Him. All people will be held accountable to God because God is just. And friends, that's the beginning of the gospel. Now, I share this Wednesday night in our, our little pastor study. Um, we don't understand that so much that the gospel begins with all men being accountable to God. We think the gospel begins in like John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel. Well, that's John three sixteen, and that, that is that is definitely important to the gospel. But the gospel story, um, actually, it, it may be a better start for it is in John three eighteen because this is what John three eighteen says. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. His name is Jesus, J-E, Jehovah, from the Old Testament, S-U-S, Savior. Jehovah is Savior. They haven't believed that Jesus is Savior, and so they stand condemned. Why do they stand condemned? Because all men are accountable to God. See, here's where the gospel actually starts. There is a God. He is all-powerful. He is creator. He is sovereign. He is ruler over everything. He made everything that we see and everything that we don't see. He is the source of life. Because He is the source of life and He made everything that we see and we don't see. Because He made us in, in His image, we are accountable unto Him. This is, this is the, the, the beginnings of the gospel, that all things are accountable to God because God is the source of all things. Okay? Because He's the source, He's accountable. We're all accountable to Him. So we, we come before God, we're all accountable for Him. That's called judgment. And the Bible says that we will all face judgment. It says that, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now we kind of get this image of, oh, well, that's going to be, what a great day. Well, that's only a great day for some folks. Because Jesus says, this is how that judgment goes. I'm going to separate out the sheep from the goats. Now, the sheep, I'm the shepherd. They, like, like, I'm the shepherd. They know me. They know my voice. They listen. They've come to me. They believed in me. These are my folks. They're going to be with me. Heaven is ours. God is ours. Forever together. This is going to be awesome. Now, those guys are going to kneel, and they're going to say, Jesus is Lord, right? And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like church. They're going to be living that out eternally. Going to be cool. You guys are getting practice. But then there's some other folks. They too will have to kneel. They too will have to confess that Jesus is Lord. But they're in the goat camp. And friends, the goat camp is not the good camp. Because the goat camp goes to a different uh, destination. It goes to a place where God's presence is not felt. It goes to a place where there is great weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place that we refer to as, as hell. It says on that judgment day that both of those camps will have to kneel and both of those camps will have to confess that Jesus is Lord, but they will face a very different judgment. And here is why, because we're all accountable to God. We have to go before God and give account of our lives. Now, we will either go before God and be accountable for our own story based on our own merit. And we will stand before God and say, well, God, I was pretty good. And God will say, well, pretty good. That's that's great for you. I'm perfect. You get me by being perfect. And so we'll stand there um, in our own merit as sinners and we'll be under condemnation. Now, some of you don't know what the word condemnation in John 3.18 means. Condemnation, John 3.17 and 3.18 means God's strong disapproval. And so there will be people on the day of judgment that will stand before God on their own merit and they will face God's condemnation, his strong disapproval and his wrath. And why is God strongly disapproving of them? And why is God um, um, bringing wrath? Because they have rejected the free gift of His Son, His one and only Son, whom He sent to make them right with Him, to reconcile them to Himself. And they have rejected the free gift. And friends, God is angry. Justifiably so, Scripture says. So we can stand there or we can stand before God and give account and we do so based on Christ's merit. 
We stand before God to give account like everyone else, but we stand and we say, uh, God, I did not trust in myself and I didn't trust in chariots and I didn't trust in finances and I didn't trust in my health and I didn't trust in my 401k. I trusted in Jesus. Like, that's what I did, God. I, I believed in your son, Jesus, and so I don't stand before you now seeing, I, I, I'm thinking I, I'm good enough to have you or good enough to have heaven or good enough to have all the, all the blessings that you have stored up, but I stand before you knowing that Jesus is good enough for all of those things. And so I stand before you holy and blameless, not because that's who I was, but because that's who Jesus made me, because he's my righteousness. And then, then I stand there, the Bible says, in Christ with no condemnation. God no longer is strong disapproving me because I am standing in Christ and in Christ there's no condemnation because Jesus took that strong disapproval he took that wrath of God upon himself in my place and so in Christ Jesus John 3.18 there is no condemnation there's no condemnation when I am in Christ and that is the beauty of the gospel John 3.16 that is the gift that's the gift and here's the point. This is, this is the, the, the light, heavy argument. Ready? If man faced just judgment for sin under the old covenant with the blood of animals, how much more just of a judgment will they face if they reject the great gift of salvation that Jesus has provided with his very own life and death? This is a reminder of what that judgment will be like. This is a reminder of how hot God's wrath will burn on that day. This is a reminder that on that day, that this era that we currently live in, this era of grace, will end. I don't even know. That scares me. To think that God will withdraw that grace. This is a reminder that this was not the sacrifice of bulls and goats. That this does not go well for you if you reject this gift. And, and so this reminder, it's a, it, it's a call. It's a call to repent while you can. Ah, that's the point. That's the call. So what do we do with that heaviness? You're like, I just read two verses and I was so excited before with all the singing. And now, pfft. all right, let me tell you a couple things before we get to application. One, we do this because we love you. You want to know the most unloving thing you can do? The most unloving thing you can do is tell people that they're okay. You know what? No, it's fine. We're on a ship and yeah, we hit a little iceberg, but you are fine. You don't need to go to the lifeboats. Just huddle up together, drink some wine. Everything will be great. And you die, right? And listen, I did this in the 830 service. I'm telling you, there are churches that are doing it. Well, you know what? I just want God's plan for your life. I just want you to be happy because God wants you to be happy. And I want you to have a big car and a nice home and a, and, and a couple of extra boats because that is God's plan for your life. And here's the problem with that. It's just not in the Bible. That's the problem with that. Because Jesus says, listen, I'm not looking to give you necessarily a big home or a big boat or a big car. Here's what I want. I want you to follow me. And this is what following me looks like. It looks like you take up your cross, buddy. It doesn't look like you take up your new Chrysler. 
Right? It means that you take up your cross and you follow me. And it means that there's going to be struggle in this world. And it means that everything's not going to fall your way. Welcome, because I'm restoring all things. And when you face that trouble, you should be reminded of the trouble that I face for you. This is life. This is the gospel that despite tough times that we rise above those things and say, you know what? These things don't matter unto me. I'm a child of God. I've been born again. My my mind is set on things above. And I don't care about my house. And I don't care about my car. And I don't care about any kind of money that might come my way because Jesus is infinitely better. He's infinitely greater. That is the gospel. Right? And this is a gospel that we that we preach and that we proclaim. But I ask you, is that the gospel you live by? Because we can say amen in church and we can get after it here. And then we walk home and we live a totally different life. And so here, here's the accountability. And I say this to you because we love you. If you're in this church, we love you and we love you enough to preach the gospel, even though it hurts, even though there are other things that we would rather do because they are more popular and they're easy to swallow. George Whitfield used to preach his guts out. He preached his guts out all over the world and he would call men to repentance and he did it as he wept. There's a story of a man that came and he planned to kill George Whitfield one day in the middle of a revival. He was out in the middle of a, of a field like in England and, and this guy picked up all these stones and, and he was so angry and he was out of work and Whitfield is preaching the gospel and he said, I had these stones in, 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 my, in my pocket and I was prepared to throw them at his head but his words pierced my heart because as he preached to me about the need for me to repent, he did so weeping. And so we do this out of love. And I'm just going to tell you these three things in love and we'll be done. What, is the, what does the Bible demand of you? Here we go. Okay, number one. You have to know that just judgment is coming. This is a reminder, friends. God loves you, but he is just. God loves you, but he is just. There will be judgment. We will stand before Christ and you will either stand on your own merit or or you'll stand upon Christ's merit. I, I encourage you. I implore you. Please stand upon Christ's merit. If you're one of those people and you know about God, you know about the gospel, but you've never given your life to Christ, friends, this is why you need to give your life to Christ. This is why you need to surrender right now, because we don't know the day or the hour that we'll breathe our last breath, but we know one day all men and women will stand account before God. So just judgment is coming and you need to know that. Number two, I think this text implores us to repent from our sins and to turn to Jesus. It's a better argument for repentance. And you say, well, pastor, what is repentance? Repentance is is literally, um, it's what's on the screen. Repentance is that I am walking in my own way and I'm doing my own thing. I'm literally rejecting God. I'm rejecting the gospel. I'm rejecting the things of heaven. And I'm choosing to do it my own way, thinking that my plan is better. And at some point it hits me. And I get guilty. And so, so here's the beginning of it. I get guilty and I confess. That's the beginnings of repentance. But I'm here to tell you that that's not enough. See, I know so many Christians that that's where they camp out, man. They feel guilty for their actions, so they confess their sins and they think that they've repented. Friends, confession is not repentance. Confession is I feel guilty. I ask God and say, God, that I'm sorry. Repentance is literally stopping, feeling guilty, confessing, turning around, and then going the other direction. That's repentance. It's not enough just to confess. It's not enough just to feel God. It's not even enough just to turn around and look the other direction and say, well, maybe I should do other things to, to fix my eyes. No, I actually have to start walking in in other things. You know what? If you've got a problem in life, you've got to do this. Guess what? If you're a gossip, if you're a gossip, it's not enough to just say, oh Lord, I I read your word and and I read that that being a gossip is, is like literally you hate it. It's an abomination unto you. 
I'm, 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 I'm so sorry. That's not enough. You have to come before God and say, God, I understand that being a gossip is not enough. And, and I'm so sorry for it. And I'm going to turn from it. Now what I'm going to do, instead of talking about people behind their back, I'm going to lift them up in front of their face. See, that's my new life in Christ. That's what I'm going to do because I've repented of that. It's not enough for a man to, to be looking at other women and say, well, I'm not going to touch them, but, you know, I'm going to shop the menu. You know, I, I can look as long as I don't touch. That's not enough to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that that is wrong and to turn around and say, I'm not going to do that. When you turn around, then you then have to say, not only will I never look at another woman, but I will pray that God only gives me wife, uh, eyes for my wife. And every day I will look unto her and she will be my gratification. And I'm going to walk in that and that holiness and blameness in the Lord. See, I'm going to do that, and that's repentant. It's repentant. It's not enough to have a bad attitude. It's not enough to, to realize that, 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 that you're grumpy or, or that you, you're just negative. It's, it's, it's not enough to realize, hey, I'm quenching the Holy Spirit, not just for me, but people around me. Because if you don't stop and confess and then turn and decide, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. And I'm going to start walking out. I'm going to be grateful, by golly. And every day when I get up, I'm going to tell God what I am thankful for. And I'm going to see the best in people, not the worst in people. I'm going to start to believe and have faith. That's not repentance unless you do that. So I'm saying to you, Christian brother, whom I love, and you've got to repent. It's not enough just to confess. And here's the deal. When you do, when the floodgates are going to open in your life, when, 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 you, when you actually repent, you're, you're going to find intimacy with God and things that you just didn't even know existed. It's going to be awesome. But be careful. Here's the last one. Again, can I say enough? I'm going to tell you these things in love this morning. It is warm up here. You guys look very comfortable. I'm a little warm. I'm going to tell you this in love. Uh, ready? Um, number three, because I love you enough, I'm just going to encourage you. Would you please make obedience your aim? Make obedience your aim. And, and I don't say this to offend you, but most Christians I know do not make obedience their aim. They make loving God their aim. I want to love God with all my heart. They make a, they make a worship experience their aim. Oh, I just, I love it when I get swept up in the spirit. It's just me and God raising hands and it's awesome. They come to church wanting that experience. If it's not duplicated for them, something was wrong with the church service. Yeah. Praise God. Pray to him about that. You should. Um, they, they want, they want emotion. They, they want, they make intimacy their aim. They, some, some people make discipleship their aim. You know what? I want to increase my knowledge of God. I want to know more about God. Listen to me. Those are all, um, decent aims. They're all okay, but, but all of those things come naturally if you walk in obedience unto the Lord. Your aim needs to be obedience. You said, if you love me, obey me. Check that one out. It's crazy. If you love me, you obey me. Here's what happens. If we walk in obedience, guess what? If we walk in obedience, we're abiding in Christ. If we're abiding in Christ, we're, we're getting the love of God because we're truly loving Him because we obey Him, right? You say, well, I want intimacy with God. I want to focus on worship. Well, guess what? If you walk in the Spirit, you're walking in fellowship with God. You have more intimacy than any moment of any worship service could bring you because you are daily walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You get the intimacy, right? You say, I want discipleship. Well, guess how disciples got their name? They walked with Jesus. That's how they got their name. This is what they said about Him. Look, at these uneducated dumb fishermen they must be somebody they must have walked with jesus because look at what they know and look at who they are friends you don't have to read 50 million books to get jesus you just got to obey him and walk with him as you do you'll be a disciple when you walk with jesus you get discipleship obedience is the key it's the key to unlocking so many things that we're struggling with in this thing called christianity so I would implore you, because I love you, 
Don't make those other things your aim. Make obedience your aim. Go home tonight. Go home this week. Get on your face. Come before God and say, God, is there some area that I'm just blatantly disobeying you in? What, what, what am I doing? Is there? And there, maybe you're doing great. You can come up and preach next week. But if you're struggling, confess that to God. Go before him. Choose to walk in obedience and just see what God does.